Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a Scream Queen production. Earthlings, welcome to So Dead. I'm your host, Jen Carpenter, and I am back from my little summertime hiatus to finish out season three with a bang. No pun intended. (laughs) Um, Today, I bring you episode 75. 75 episodes of So Dead. Isn't that wild? Uh, So my original plan was just to kind of phone this episode in, to tell you the truth. I'm just still coming off of a Festival of Oddities, which was wild. Thank you so much to everyone who came out. It was an incredible day, but it was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot goes into the festival. Um, And so my plan was just to retell the story that I did for the live show at the festival, right? Keep it simple. I did all the work. I did all that research. I did all that writing tell it at the festival, tell it on the podcast, bada bing, bada boom, which by the way, I got to do a live show with Nina Instead, who is the host of Already Gone, one of the first true crime podcasts that was out there. She's been doing it since way before it was super popular. The first one, I believe, that was Michigan-based or Michigan-centric. So Nina is one of my true crime heroes, and that was a really big deal to me. But I digress. Point is, I was going to redo my story from the festival, and then I realized this is episode 75, and a run-of-the-mill political corruption story just wouldn't do for such a momentous occasion. Our diamond episode, that's what 75 is, right? The diamond? I I don't know. I haven't, I don't have 75 anythings. Um, Diamond episode needed to be a big one, and who is bigger than the king of Michigan? The King of Michigan? Oh yeah, we had one of those, and I am going to tell you guys about him. But before I do, I want to tell you guys about a podcast called The Grave Talks. Have you ever wanted to hear the story behind some of the most compelling hauntings in history? From Amityville to The Conjuring, The Grave Talks podcast takes you there. Three times a week, Tony Bruschi, host of The Grave Talks, talks to the people who've experienced shocking paranormal phenomena firsthand. He dives into how the experience affected those who survived it and how it made them who they are today. What really happened to the Perrin family inside their haunted farmhouse? What was it like investigating side-by-side with Ed and Lorraine Warren as they stepped inside the infamous Amityville house? 
Hear supernatural stories that you will not find anywhere else besides on The Grave Talks. Search The Grave Talks wherever you download podcasts and press subscribe. Then start binging away on the ghost stories no one ever thought would be told. That is The Grave Talks. Search for it wherever you download podcasts and press subscribe today. That's a good one for spooky season, yeah? We're, we're getting into it at the shop and um, just in life in general. Like, spooky season is here. It is our time to shine, friends. But back to the topic at hand today. I am going to tell you about the King of Michigan. James Jesse Strang, also sometimes called Jesse James Strang, which is what I'm going to call him today because that sounds a lot cooler, was born in Cayuga County, New York in 1813, the second of three children to Clement and Abigail Strang. The Strang family had a good reputation in the community. They were hardworking, churchgoing, all of that. Uh, Jesse James was said to be spoiled and coddled by his mother as a child because he was in poor health, which, that's sweet, right? Uh, no. He and his mom belonged on one of those creepy mother-son relationship reality shows on TLC, let me tell you, because when Jesse James was away from his mother, which was not very often, but when he was at school, at church, out playing with friends, or doing whatever kids did in the early 1800s, he was then required to return home and give his mother a full account of every single word he spoke and every action he took while he was gone. Not just like a, hey, honey, how was your day? But a full accounting of every single thing that happened. So that's uh, something. Jesse James went to school until he was 12, but due to his illness and his mom's insane overbearing tendencies, he later estimated that he only spent about six months actually in school. He'd go for a week here, a few days there, uh, nothing consistent. So he he went that whole time from the time he was, I don't know, when did they start school in the 1800s? Five, six, like they do now, um, until he was 12, but he only went a very little bit here and there. When he was 12 years old, he was baptized into the Baptist faith, uh, but he didn't want to become, you know, just some Baptist farmer like his dad. He wanted to make something of his life, so he started studying the law instead, and in 1836, when he was 23, Jesse James Strang was admitted to the New York State Bar. That same year, he married his wife, Mary Purse, um, and the two went on to have several children together. Strang's diaries, which were written partly in secret code that was not deciphered until like a hundred years later, revealed that from a young age, he believed he was being called upon to become a world leader like Caesar or Napoleon. Those were the examples he gave. Those are not my examples, just so we're clear. Um, but as the son of a poor farmer and a crazy mother, he had a long way to go to make that happen. He traveled the country. He worked as a postmaster here and the editor of a newspaper there. Um, and then in 1843, he and his wife Mary followed Mary's family to Wisconsin to start a new life, which proved to be a huge fucking mistake for everyone involved. Because Wisconsin is right next to Illinois, which is where a man by the name of Joseph Smith was conjuring up a new religion with his recently released book, the Book of Mormon. 
When Jesse James Strang and Joseph Smith met, they instantly became old chaps, and in 1844, when he was 31, Strang, who described himself as a cool philosopher, which, newsflash, sir, if you have to tell people you're cool, you're not cool, he decided to give up his gig as a Baptist minister and join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Joseph Smith himself baptized Strang on February 25th, 1844, and less than a week later, on March 3rd, Strang was ordained a Mormon elder. Six days talking about elder? Like, I don't know. That's weird to me. So the Mormon cult, church, church cult, whatever you want to call it, is growing quickly. Joseph Smith now has lawyer and recent convert Jesse James Strang as his right-hand man, But a continued rise to power was not to be for Mr. Smith, because just three months after he anointed Strang an elder, Smith was murdered in a jail cell by an anti-Mormon mob where he was being held for inciting a Mormon riot. A Mormon riot. Um, So apparently not everyone was on board with this whole Mormonism taking multiple wives nonsense, and they were pretty... uh, violently against it. And so Joseph Smith is murdered. What do we do now? We were just getting up and running, right? Like we were the new religion. We were the new big thing. And now our our leader's dead. Well, when Strang found out about Smith's death, he was like, oh, guess I'm in charge now. I've been a part of this cult for a whole five minutes. It was more like five months, but literally he had been on the team for five months. And the second the leader died, he was like, hey, guess what? I'm taking over. Makes sense, right? But the other elders were like, oh, contraire, mon frere, I don't fucking think so. So all of the other Mormon elders wanted that top spot too, including Brigham Young and Sidney Rigdon. So I'm going to spare you this because you guys know I don't like the religious stuff or the culty stuff, so I'm going to spare all the details. But a whole lot of Mormon drama went down, resulting in Brigham Young taking his followers to Utah Sidney Rigdon taking his followers to Pennsylvania, and Jesse James Strang retaining custody of the Wisconsin cult that he was building at the time of Smith's death. Strang was ridiculously new to the faith, so he didn't have a lot of loyal followers and he didn't have the name recognition that the other two men had. But what he did have was Joseph Smith's family on his side, and that counted for something. His other claims to the throne were, number one, that an angel appeared to him upon Smith's death and told him, hey, you're up. <laughs> um, basically, not not in those words. Obviously, it was much more religious and dramatic than that, but that was the gist of it. Um, number two, he also claimed that he had a letter that Smith had written to him just nine days before his death, basically saying, hey, if anything ever happens to me, I want this guy to take over. Sounds a little suspicious, Yeah. Others thought so too. So the authenticity of that letter is disputed to this day. I mean, how are we uh, how are we authenticating letters in 1844? It's not like they had DNA or anything. So it was really like a he said, she said. This guy thought it looked like Smith's handwriting. This guy said it didn't look like Smith's handwriting. So there was really no good way to tell. But between that letter and the angel and the support of Joseph Smith's family, Strang gained the support of over 12,000 members of the LDS Church, and he took charge of the faction that existed in Vauray, Wisconsin. 
Brigham Young's Utah cult, um, which was much larger, uh, actually excommunicated Strang from the church, but Strang was all, you can't separate me from the church, I am the church. Sorry. And he formed his own spinoff of Mormons called the Strangites. I don't, Strangites, Strangites, I'm not sure how they said it. It's weird either way. So when anti-Mormon extremists killed Joseph Smith, they did not kill Mormonism. They made it bigger because now there was a Mormon settlement in Utah, one in Pennsylvania, and one in Wisconsin. Until 1847, when Strang decided that Wisconsin was a lame spot for a cult, so he told his followers that he'd had a vision. He said, I beheld a land amidst wide waters covered with large timber with a deep, broad bay on one side of it. That land was apparently a little place called Beaver Island, the largest island in Lake Michigan at about 56 square miles. Now, if you're a longtime listener of So Dead, you know that bad things happen when a white man decides to take over an island in Lake Michigan. I'm talking to you, North Fox Island. In fact, North Fox Island and Beaver Island are not very far apart at all. They're up at the very north end of Lake Michigan between Michigan's lower and upper peninsulas. Today, Beaver Island, which calls itself America's Emerald Isle, has a year-round population of about 600 residents, mainly of Irish descent. But like most islands and beach towns here in Michigan, it is also a tourist attraction. So it's got hotels, motels, holiday inns. (laughs) Sorry, I'm sorry. Um, No, no holiday inn actually, but... Hotels, motels, bed and breakfast, campsites, breweries, restaurants, bars, music festivals, a toy museum, that sounds kind of fun, Um, a whole lot going on, according to their 50-page visitor's guide that I perused because I myself have never actually been to Beaver Island. We're getting off track here, though. The point is, way back in 1848, when Jesse James Strang decided to move his Strangites there, there were only like a couple dozen people on Beaver Island. There were like three families, I think it said, a bunch of crotchety old white men with young Native American wives, gross. Uh, There were some fishermen. There was a small Chippewa tribe on the northern end of the island. Uh, Not a lot going on, but the Strangites were there to change all of that. Over the next decade, they transformed Beaver Island into a hub of activity. They built roads and homes, started a newspaper, cleared land for farming. But as his following grew, so did Strang's big bulbous head. Remember, all his life, he'd felt that he was meant to lead, right? And now he was the leader of this big old church cult and he was running his own island. So the next logical step, of course, was for Strang to declare himself king, which he did in dramatic fashion, 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 Dramatic fashion. In 1850, one of his followers, who'd been a theater actor before joining Strang's cult, staged a lavish ceremony, complete with a throne made of moss, a red flannel robe, a scepter made from branches, a painted palace backdrop, and a cardboard crown for their new king. I listen. You know how sometimes like you get asked those weird icebreaker questions at events? Um, if I ever get asked, like, if there was one moment in time that you could travel to to witness a historical event, what would it be? 
for me, officially, now it's the coronation of King James because that sounds like the most ridiculous thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. Like, I can't, (laughs) I can't even picture it. Um, Okay, so Beaver Island had become a Mormon utopia, as they called it, and Jesse James Strang was now its king. Long live James, King of Zion, a crowd of some 250 followers chanted during the ceremony. It sounds ridiculous. It was ridiculous. But it was also a huge moment in American history because to this date, Strang's is the only monarchy ever established on U.S. soil. But not all was well within the kingdom of Strang. I wish that his last name had just had like one more letter on it and was strange instead of Strang because that would have been perfect. Anyway, many of those who initially supported Strang in his bid to take over the Mormon church started to realize that there was something off about him even before he claimed his throne of moss. For one thing, one big difference between the Strangites and Brigham Young's Utah Mormons in the beginning was the issue of monogamy. Mormon founder Joseph Smith had been a polygamist. Brigham Young and his followers were polygamist, but Jesse James Strang promoted monogamy. He was married long before becoming a Mormon and had had children. He had a family, and he believed in a one-to-one husband-wife ratio. Until he fell in love with Elvira Field, the teenage daughter of a member of Strang's inner circle. They kept their relationship a secret at first. Um, It was a very elaborate secret. Elvira cut off all her hair, made herself a wardrobe of men's clothing, and she became Strang's traveling companion, disguising herself as his nephew and assistant, Charlie J. Douglas. The two were secretly married in 1849 when she was 19 and he was 37. Gross. And Elvira actually had a hand in planning Strang's over-the-top coronation ceremony in 1850. In 1851, when Elvira gave birth to her first of four children with the king, Strang publicly sanctioned polygamy, and he finally introduced Elvira to his followers as his wife. It was at this time that Mary Strang, his actual wife of 15 years and the mother of his OG children, said, fuck this shit, uh, took her three kids, and she moved back to Wisconsin with her family. The following year, King James took another wife, Betsy McNutt, who was much closer in age to him. She was just seven years younger. Three years after that, in 1855, King James married two teenage cousins, Sarah and Phoebe Wright, just three months apart. So now he's got one legal wife who's fucking gone. She left his ass. And four Mormon wives, most of them teenagers when he married them, there on Beaver Island. Between those five wives, King James fathered 14 children, but he didn't have time for fatherhood. He was too busy turning his mob of religious zealots into literal pirates. They, I mean, they literally called them the Great Lakes Pirates. The fishermen and indigenous people that called Beaver Island home long before the Strangites arrived didn't take kindly to this fucking guy showing up, declaring himself king, telling everyone what to do, marrying a bunch of teenagers, having a bunch of babies, wearing a red flannel robe and a crown made of cardboard around town, talking about, I'm your king. 
Um, but it, I mean, it was so much worse than that. That actually sounds hilarious, but it was worse than that. The Strangites, Jesse James included, went to Beaver Island with nothing. So when they got there, they just started taking. They took property, goods, horses. King James actually ran a pretty elaborate horse thieving ring. There was a lot of violence, a lot of fighting, just a lot of all around fuckery going on. Now, back in the 1800s, Michigan, especially northern Michigan, especially the islands of northern Michigan, were pretty much left to their own devices. It was more wilderness than people, and the U.S. government didn't pay it much mind. But when word got back to President Millard Fillmore that Michigan had a king, he was like, uh, what? (laughs) So in 1851, shortly after the coronation of King James, the U.S. president sent the USS Michigan to Beaver Island to arrest the king and his court for treason, counterfeiting, trespassing on government land, and theft. The men were taken to Detroit for trial, where King James, who was, remember, a lawyer before all of this weird shit, defended himself. And he was like, look, Your Honor, Your Honor, I never said I was the king of Michigan or even the king of Beaver Island. I'm just the king of my modest little church. That's not a crime, is it? And the judge was all, well, no, I guess it's not. And King James and his men were acquitted which actually strengthened Strang's position. He gained more followers and went on to serve two terms in the Michigan legislature. Like, I can't. I seriously just can't. The craziest part, though, is that he actually made a really good politician. Even the other legislators who were like, King of Beaver Island, what a kook, wound up respecting him. And it's just so wild to me. But shit is about to get a whole lot wilder. First, though, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor for today's episode, HelloFresh. Fall means busy season for a lot of us. What with back to school, sports, going way overboard for Halloween, and HelloFresh can help you save the time you'd otherwise spend meal planning so you can get back to what matters, like Halloween. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, from vegetarian meals to calorie smart choices to extra special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy with recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. I personally hate to cook. It's probably my biggest mom fail, but HelloFresh makes it easy by taking the guesswork out of everything. No more fighting over what to have for dinner or a two-hour-long trip to the grocery store hunting down ingredients. I just open that HelloFresh box and everything is right there. The recipe, the ingredients, the cooking instructions. After a long day, it's so nice to have someone else do the heavy lifting for you. And the food's delicious. Fresh produce, quality ingredients, I love it, and I know you will too. So go to HelloFresh.com slash SoDead14 and use code SoDead14 for up to 14 free meals, including shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash SoDead14, promo code 14, for up to 14 free meals as well as free shipping. Give America's number one meal kit a try today. All right, back to it. We left off in 1856 when King Jesse James Strang was so powerful that no one dared cross him or question him or disobey him. And if they did, they were dealt with harshly. 
either through violence or excommunication or both, and this made him a whole lot of enemies. Like Thomas Bedford, who had been accused of adultery for having an affair with another member's wife and was publicly flogged, so literally like they beat his ass in public. And Dr. H.G. McCullough, one of Strang's top advisors at one point, who was excommunicated for drunkenness and other misdeeds. The two men vowed to get revenge on King James, and they teamed up with some of the locals who, remember, the locals hated everything about the Mormon settlement— to make that happen. King James knew about this threat, but he wasn't worried at all. He refused to hire security or carry protection. He even went so far as to taunt his enemies in his newspaper, The Northern Islander. In June of 1956, he wrote, We laugh with bitter scorn at all these threats. Just days later, on June 16th, he stopped laughing. The USS Michigan, the same ship that had arrested King James and his men and taken them to trial a few years earlier, was docked at the St. James Port on Beaver Island because, of course, Strang named the city he lived in after himself. The ship's commander, Charles McBlair, reported inviting King James aboard the ship for dinner that night. At around 7 p.m., as the king made his way down the dock toward the ship, his subject-turned-enemy Thomas Bedford and local resident Alexander Wentworth ambushed him from behind. In plain view of Commander McBlair and his crew, who did nothing to stop this or assist in the aftermath, 53-year-old King Jesse James Strang was shot three times, once in the face, once in the head, and once in the spine. The men then pistol-whipped him as he lay on the ground bleeding, which seems like overkill to me. And then they, along with their families, ran down the dock, hopped aboard the USS Michigan, and requested sanctuary. And even though the crew, including the commander, had just witnessed them riddle Strang's body with bullets, they granted the men asylum. The king of Beaver Island didn't die immediately. He, along with his four wives that still lived on the island with him, who were all pregnant, by the way, all four of his wives were pregnant when this happened. They were all whisked back to Vore, Wisconsin, where their whole crazy cult began. Strang spent the next few weeks in agony before dying a slow, painful death on July 9, 1856, leaving behind a total of five wives and 14 children. But what about his assassins? Commander Blair refused to turn them over to the local sheriff on Beaver Island and instead took them to Mackinac Island, where everybody hated King James. There, the men were given a mock trial, fined $1.25 apiece, and were then released and treated like heroes by the locals. <laughs> Even though dozens of people watched them murder um, a king, right? <laughs> That's so crazy. But what happened to the kingdom of Zion? On July 5th, 1856, as King James languished on his deathbed in Wisconsin, a drunken mob rounded up all 2,600 Strangites that were still living on Beaver Island, robbed them of their money and possessions, which, to be fair, that is what the Strangites had been doing to them for years. They didn't call them the Great Lakes Pirates for nothing. And then they forced them onto steamers and dumped them at ports at the shores of Lake Michigan. So, you know, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, just any port they could find. You guys go here, you guys go here. They just split them all up, dumped them all off, 
And that was the end of the Mormon utopia on Beaver Island. And then within a few days, King James died. So that brought to an end a very strange chapter in Michigan history. Except Jesse James String was believed to have had a whole lot of ill-gotten gains, a fortune of gold and other valuables. It's said that much of his treasure was hidden, buried around Beaver Island, but that everything went to shit so quickly, no one had time to recover it before they were driven from the island. The lost treasure of King James became something of a local folklore, and treasure hunters would travel to Beaver Island and its surrounding smaller islands in search of that treasure. In 1980, a family from Grand Rapids actually found some of it buried near an abandoned Mormon building on Beaver Island. So it is real. It's real. Um, But most of this treasure remains missing. Can you even? We're smart. I bet we can find it. Let's let's like plan a voyage. Um, Is anyone else obsessed with the Netflix show Outer Banks? That's definitely for teenagers, but I watch it anyways because I think I'm a teenager. Yeah, we can we can do that. We can live out like our own version of it right here in Michigan. Let's do it. In the meantime, though, that is it for today. Thank you for coming to my dead talk. My primary sources for today's episode were the book. King of Confidence by Miles Harvey, which I sell at Dead Time Stories, wink, wink, and Wikipedia. Uh, Lots of Wikipedia today. So you can find my full list of resources on the page for this episode on the So Dead website. Now, how about a little liquid cheese? Because we haven't done that in a while. Um, Today, let's talk about secrets. I'm going to tell you guys my most shameful secret, something most of you don't know about me. This is hard to say. It's hard to admit to. But I once wrote Sons of Anarchy fan fiction. (laughs) Like fanatically wrote Sons of Anarchy fan fiction. Actually, it was pretty good and I had a lot of followers. I ran a website for Sons of Anarchy fan fiction I ran a Facebook group for it. Like when I tell you I was all in, I was, (laughs) it's so embarrassing now. It's so embarrassing. Um, I think it's all still out there somewhere. Don't go looking for it. But yeah, so that's my secret. What's yours? What's like a weird random thing that nobody would know about you unless you were an idiot like me and told them? Um, on such a public platform. I want to hear it. So I'm going to post this in the Facebook group and you guys can can tell me your secrets. I told you mine. I told you mine. You tell me yours. Um, And now it's time for something else that we haven't done in a while. It's time for me to thank everyone that's left reviews for So Dead on either Apple Podcasts or Facebook over the last few months. So on Apple Podcasts, there was 121664. Lena Cat 88, H. Van Lu or Van Lau, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say it, Heather S., Crimson's Mom, Brit Jazz, Quinny. This one I tried so hard to figure out how to say it. It's Tony Ballin, T O N I B A L I N, and then the letters E Y G. Tony Balangay? 
I don't know. I don't know how that's supposed to sound, but thank you. Um, Sassy RN, Allie CB, Hook Butane, Jay McGann, E. Zimmerly, ABC Eiler, Dr. NHL, T.L. Chambers, Shamrock's Mom, What the Suck, I like that one. Um, Rosie Blue Moon, although I'm not sure how to feel about Rosie. Rosie, if you're listening, I'm befuddled. Um, so Rosie gave the podcast five stars, but then left kind of a shitty review. So I don't I don't know what, what was meant to happen there. So um, Atlas Nana and Bootsy Lou. On Facebook, we had Rachel Robbins Honore, Selena Bleisner, Heather McLean, Jenilyn Abshagen, Abshagen. I also don't know how to pronounce that. I don't know why I do this because I, I'm just butchering all of your names. I'm sorry. But Jenilyn, thank you. Brittany Arcate Tower and Danielle Adams. If you want to hear your name on the podcast, all you have to do is leave a review on either Apple Podcasts or Facebook. Those are the only two places that I'm going to see them. Um, so leave a review and I will give you a shout out in a future episode. Aside from that, um, make sure that you're following So Dead on all of the socials, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under So Dead Podcast. We are on YouTube. Nothing special there. It's just the episodes in video format if you prefer them that way. But really, really by and far, like my most interactive social media at this point is TikTok. I'm obsessed. So it's Scream Queen 517 uh, we are into spooky season now, so I'm going to be very, very busy with things at Dead Time Stories and the Screamatorium. Come visit. It's the time. It's our season. It's time to be spooky. So if you haven't visited yet, come visit. Um, look forward to seeing you all, and I will see you with a new episode of So Dead in a couple of weeks. Until then, keep shining, you magnificent what the fox. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 